Okay. Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I am your host, Teresa Alexander Inman, board certified behavior analyst and infant toddler developmental specialist. Today, I am so thrilled to have with us Dr. Ni Dang. He's a family physician with over 10 years of experience. He's worked in both inpatient and outpatient settings and was the chief resident during his residency and currently champions. Um, he's a champion for his clinic for quality of care, which we know is so essential. Now, Dr. Ni was born in Vietnam and grew up in Southern California. His family moved to the States when he was seven. As an immigrant, he shared some of the same struggles that many other immigrants um, with adjusting to the new norm and you know dealing with bullying, discrimination, and constantly having to self-validate while fighting depression. Dr. Nee, that is tough. How did you do it? First of all, welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, sometimes hearing your own bio, uh, it doesn't sound like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So true. It's like, who's she talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, just like you said, you know, uh, being immigrant, you know, I shared pretty much you know, a lot of the same same experience with all the, a lot of other immigrants. I don't think anything um, was kind of special pertaining to me in terms of my experience. I think we all kind of went through the same thing: uh, the cultural shock, the language shock, um, and just overall, like, just the the how things are so much different between you know the states and other countries. So true. And as an immigrant myself, I totally get it. But I actually, am a, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. So okay. um, much, it was similar though. Yeah. <laughs> Still, the, everything was different. You come from this yeah. warm place to this place where it's like, oh my gosh, that was cold. And there's so many things that are different. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I get it. Wow. But then you dealt with all the newness of things while battling depression as a young child. How did you navigate that? You know, it was actually a very tough. Like I remember when I first moved here, my uh, my first memory was uh, of school was uh, I think first day of uh, second grade. I think I came in, had no idea what's going on. You know, my mom like took me to the class. I'm like, okay, and they sat just sat in the class, and then. Um, I don't remember much for that day, to be honest. But what I did remember was one of the students, he just uh, had a tantrum and just lost it. He went up to the front, knocked over all the teacher's books on the ground and just like threw it, just straight tantrum. <laughs> and I remember just being so shocked because, you know, that's not the culture in, in uh, Asia and especially in Vietnam. Uh, you know, you respect your teachers. You would never step out of line with your teachers, right? I mean like in, in Vietnam, like the teachers actually have permission for your parents to spank you. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I was just blown away. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, why is this kid acting like this? And why is the teacher just like standing there and not doing anything? It was just a whole culture shock. I think I remember um, I walked up to the front and picked up her books for her and handed it back to her and I just went to go sit back down. I mean, that was my first real memory that I can remember. <laughs> It was just uh, something that stuck with me forever. 
Yeah. And I can see why, because honestly, in some ways it was traumatic. Yeah. You know, seeing that. Yeah, I totally get it. And I hear that today because I work in the school district here in Jacksonville and I see it every day, you know, students throwing things at teachers and, you know, the language. And I yeah. thought, oh, if they were in Dominica, that would not fly. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, uh, so I don't know. Like, it's just, it, it's sad, but what do we do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the culture now. Yes. Um, but I think that was my first memory. And then uh, my, my second memory was a little more, uh, a little bit different. I think my second memory was, I was still, I think it was like maybe the first or second year I was here. I remember the teacher said something to me and I didn't know what she was saying because I was still trying to learn English. Mm. And then, but after she said it, the whole class turned around and looked at me and started laughing. And I was just like, why is everyone laughing at me? What did the teacher say? I think that was my like second memory that I can recall. That was, was just like so traumatic. I was like, I just want to like, crawl under the table and just leave. I'm like, man. Yeah, I remember looking at the clock from then like that day forward like hoping that the class was over so I can go home wow that is really sad and now it comes from a teacher and you still have no idea what the teacher no. said and yeah and I could see how that could be really impactful and also you know how did you feel about that teacher later on to be honest I don't remember much of what happened in that class I just remember that moment that just like kind of kind of buried like that memory just like tattooed itself in my brain. I can't let yeah. go of it. But yeah, I, I don't remember much of what happened exactly that led to that. I don't think she I'm not sure she was saying something like derogatory or, or anything negative. She might have just made a comment on something that like the other kids thought was funny. I have no idea. Wow. Yeah, that is and you know it kind of reminds me of me being in a class recently and a teacher making a comment about a student and that student feeling, you know, like it's like certain comments are made and then we tend to, even though you're not outwardly losing trust or not feeling, you know, like there's, there's something that degrades that relationship a little yeah, bit yeah. when something like that happens. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. But yeah, I think that was my second real memory of remembering. And then uh, the rest of it's kind of fuzzy because I think I was trying to just uh, block it out. But essentially, it's a lot of me being alone by myself, trying to figure things out, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trying to just accept the the changes and trying to move on. Wow. So were your parents able to help you with that at all? You know, unfortunately, like my parents didn't speak English much either. Mm. So, you know, it was a big change for them as well. Because in Vietnam, they were, uh, my dad was a calculus uh, teacher and my mom was a genetics teacher. Mm. So, like I said, in Asia, you know, teachers are well respected. So then they, they gave their that job to move to the States for uh, you know, a better life for their kids. So they have to just make ends meet and work, you know, basically, you know, minimum wage and find jobs to try to put their kids through school and try to learn. They went to um, 
adult learning after you know after work try to learn english try to better themselves as well so i, I think a lot of it and i see the stress that they're going through and that what they're trying to <clears throat> i see the stress of my siblings as well so unfortunately i just kind of internalized everything and kept it to myself and didn't really tell my parents what was going on and I, I didn't want to give them another layer of stress Wow. And as a seven-year-old, that's a lot for you to take on by yourself. Yeah, I, you know, I think to this point, I, to this day, I think I'm still trying to recover from it, to be honest. Uh, like, so for example, in Vietnam, I, you know, I was at the top of my class because my parents were teachers. And then uh, I had a lot of friends, you know, you know, pretty much everybody in school knew who I was. And then that transition to being the worst student in class not having any friends, being by myself, having people laugh at me. It was like, my life was like flipped upside down. You know, being a kid, like you didn't know who your identity is anymore. Like, I'm like, who am I now? Like, I'm just this weird old kid that no one likes. So it was a, like, my life was just upside down. Wow. And how did you go from there to where you are now, Dr. Needang? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, a lot of people, Ask like, oh, that's a lot to ask for a kid, which it is. Um, I think I went through a lot of like kind of soul searching and trying to figure out who I was and being able to be alone and not, not having to always be around people, around friends. I mean, that's a skill you kind of develop. I think it's like a survival skill. Like uh, to this day, a lot of people have problems going out to eat by themselves because they just don't like being by themselves. But since I, develop that ability like I have no problem going out eat by restaurants by myself <laughs> a lot of people think it's weird but I think it's just because I'm so used to that as a child that I'm like I have no problem being by myself I think would you say though it's because you've learned to love and be comfortable with yourself because a lot of times I think we don't want to be by ourselves because we haven't learned to first of all accept ourselves love ourselves and be comfortable in our own skin yeah you know a lot of it is that I think I, you know, what you said is kind of dead on. I think I just had to be comfortable being by myself and just be comfortable with just you know, knowing who I am as an individual. I don't need um, other people to praise me or other people to validate me sometimes. And you just kind of, that survivor instinct just kicked in. How do we get our children there? Because I see so many of our children in the school, you know, in the schools or just children I work with in their homes, they're always looking for that validation, always looking for somebody to praise them. And it starts very early. So a one-year-old will do something and stand there waiting, like, okay, yeah. you guys need to start clapping now. Like, come on yeah. now. Um, how do we get past that? Because I understand it starting, you know, starting doing that giving that extrinsic praise and validation early on, but then how do we help them become intrinsic where they feel, okay, I don't need somebody else to give that to me. I already have it. I've developed that skill. Yeah. You know, actually that skill is a very hard skill um, to learn and to develop, but it is like you said, a skill. So it's something that you, people can develop. It's not something that's innate that only some people have and some people don't have. I, I think a lot of it is, um, for me, I think I, I fell to uh, back on my art skills. So I, I drew a lot 
and you know that I started drawing a lot, you know, spending time by myself drawing, and that kind of gave me my identity. That you know, may I not have a lot of friends, but I enjoy drawing. I'm escaping to my own world. I don't really need anyone to validate my art because I enjoy drawing, no matter what anyone says. So I think to to get to that point, you probably have to find something you really enjoy and something that you're passionate about, something that gives you joy and that you don't need anyone else's praise or approval for. A lot of times we do other things that um, you know, we don't really, aren't really passionate about. And those things really need a praise, like uh, people to validate us. Yeah. And, you know, it's so true. And I'm glad that you mentioned art and not needing anybody to tell you, you know, that it was lovely or anything, because often in classrooms, I see children, you know, they'll draw something. And actually just last week, the student, you know, colored something in and the teacher was like, well, don't you think you should add more color? And the teachers and the student said, no. And that you, well, I think you do. Okay. But my thing, and I was thinking, it's not about you. Yeah. Let the child express themselves the way they want to express themselves. If they want to make it just black and white, then that's fine. That's their interpretation of it. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. I think so much and so, so often we try to dictate to a child what, you know, their standard should be or what's valuable to them instead of allowing them to tell us. Yeah, no, no, that's that's so true. I think, you know, the one of the advantages, I guess, that came from the disadvantage is that I was able to have a lot of quiet time. And, you know, a lot of the chatter, a lot of those talks and things like that, I I couldn't understand anyways. So I kind of just tuned it out. So I think that's, you know, that's the advantage of being disadvantaged, that I didn't have to listen to all that chatter and all this uh other opinions from other people. I didn't mean, understand anyway, so I didn't really care. So I think that helped because I, I was so used to just not listening to the chatter, listening to what people said. I'm just like in my own world. So I think that was helpful because those years where I kind of developed and figured things out where I'm like, I don't really need to listen to other people's opinions or or such about this and that because I was, I was able to just kind of zone everybody out. Uh, so you really got to know yourself and develop some resilience there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's a, a skill that is so important for kids to have these days, especially with uh, everything on social media. It's um, sometimes you know, like I tell um, the other, I tell other people that sometimes you just have to let your kids fail. And let's let them fail and pick themselves up. And that's what's builds resilience. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I say it all the time. And people look at me like I have two heads when I say that. And they're like, how can I let my child fail? Well, how will your child learn to correct themselves if they don't fail? How will they learn to get up if they don't fall? You know, and yeah, I appreciate you saying that so much because that is huge. Yeah, and like uh, in my book series, one of the books is about uh, about the protagonist, the main character, failing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end, you know, you kind of see that he was able to pick himself back up. So, you know, what I learned actually from uh, this uh, 
psychologist, Dr. Duckworth, she's found that actually the, uh, the, the key to success in children or even adults, uh, she found that the key is not talent, it's not IQ, it's not like innate ability, it's actually grit. Yeah, she found that the kids that are the grittiest are the ones that are going to be successful. It's not the kids that's the smartest. It's not the kids that's the fastest. Not the kids that's the strongest. It's the kids that's the grittiest. Basically, grit can be learned. It's not something that you innately have. Grit is being able to like basically just pick yourself up every time you get knocked down and just keep go pushing forward and and keep getting back on the horse over and over again until you achieve what you want to achieve. Wow. You know what? Honestly, if this is all you had said this whole time, listening all this time is like so worth it because that (laughs) is so powerful. It is so, so powerful because it is so true. Like how often have you heard? I mean, and you made me think of people like Dean Graziosi and Lisa Nichols, people who are super successful today, but they were underdogs you know, they were like, they were told that they would never succeed. They would never this, they would never that. And then to see them today here, they are writing books about it. Actually, Dean Grazios, he wrote a book about underdog. Um, But it's just really, it just goes to show that, like you said, it's not about skill. And both those people I mentioned, they're also both dyslexic, you know, and so is Damon John of the Shark Tank. You know, these are people who have overcome so much like yourself because of grit, because of that resilience that was developed in them. So tell us more about your books, because I believe that they were designed, right, to help children build resilience and grit. Yeah, so my book actually basically touches up on like all the um, the struggles and the mental health conditions that kids will go through uh, in their adolescent years. For example, uh, the premise of the story is about um, Max, who is the protagonist. So he starts out his uh, first day of sixth grade and his goal that year was to win the national spelling bee. So that was his goal. He said, like studying all summer long, studying after school. But then first day of school comes, he gets on the bus, runs into his bully. So the first book is about him dealing with his bully and uh, what happens. I won't give away the whole book, but this is him dealing with his bully. So yeah, at the end, like I said, I, I give some more information on what bullying actually does to you psychologically, not just physically, and how can it last through childhood and into adulthood, you know, if uh, we don't really address it. And there's some things we can do as parents uh, to step in to help your kids when they're dealing with bullying. The statistics show that like one out of five kids get bullied. So it's not something that like one out of a thousand kids or one out of a hundred kids is like pretty common, like. Yeah. In your neighborhood, probably a good amount of kids are being bullied. Absolutely. And yes, it is more common than we um, believe. And it starts early. I've seen children in kindergarten have those traits. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to call them bullies, but they've done things that look very bully-like. Yeah. yeah. So give us one thing. Tell us one thing that a parent can do if the child comes home and says that they're being bullied. Yeah, I think one thing you do is probably sit down, listen to your kid, 
see, you know, kind of understand the situation, what kind of bullying is being done, you know, how you can help them in any way. Um, if it's something physical or something just verbal or what is it that's going on? I think that's by understanding what's going on. The situation more is, is the first and most powerful step instead of just uh, getting upset. Oh, someone's bullying my kid. Like, who is it? What's what? You know, getting all upset. I think the best thing to do is kind of understand what's going on with the situation. And then, you know, once you fully understand the situation, then you can assess to see what you can do to help. Yeah. So being objective about, you know, looking at the situation objectively, then. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it is easy, like you said, to become emotional. Yeah. And of course, this is your child. You want yeah. to do something. But do you are would you agree that it causes more anxiety with your child if they approach it that way, if they approach it with, you know, all this emotion? Yeah, no, definitely. I think like with the, the you know, I wrote in the at the end of the book that, you know, it causes a lot of um, it makes the, the person, be the kid being bullied, they feel guilty as well. They feel like, you know, they kind of brought up themselves. They feel embarrassed. They feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they are more hesitant to ask for help, more hesitant to kind of let the teachers or know or the parents know because they feel like they, they're more embarrassed than anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it does cause a lot of anxiety for them because every time they go to school, like, oh, okay, here we go again. And so it does have a kind of, like a mental wear and tear on their on their psyche. Right. Yeah, I could only imagine. Ooh, I need to take a breath because you know it's it's it is difficult, you know, especially like me. I have my children have not been bullied, but just imagining and just seeing babies being bullied, especially when you know that is also one of the reasons that a lot of children commit suicide is because they've been bullied. Yeah, so, you know, the most important thing, a lot of times I feel like um, parents maybe not step in enough mm -hmm. and kind of let their kids kind of figure it out by themselves and see how they do. The analogy I like to use a lot when I talk to people about that is imagine like I for myself like i never had any training in like combat sports i don't know any grappling any wrestling any striking nothing and then you asked me to go to a, a ring with a professional fighter who's been training for 10 15 years and asking me to do my best i mean i'm gonna get my head taken off right mm -hmm. and i'm gonna leave in a stretcher so that's the same same thing you ask of a kid that doesn't have the skills don't have to know how to deal with the bullies and just tell them you know it's go do this and do do that even though they do not have that skill yet not that they will never have that skill but a skill that they haven't picked up or learned yet and then so you're asking them to do something that's that they are not capable of doing that's like saying asking me to go fight some professional fighter that's a skill i do not have not that i can't have it even if i go train for you know this amount of years and this and that then, then that's a different story so i think that's the same situation for kids i mean you gotta teach them those skills, teach them what to do first, instead of just say, ah, just do this and go. 
Or also you go into the danger of advising them on a situation that you don't even fully have all the information or understand. Yeah, exactly. So, which could cause more problems. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, we could talk forever. <laughs> and I think I'd like to have you come back and talk a little bit more about your books and how they help children. Actually, so I know you've got what, is it four books or, and there's one coming out soon? I have four books out and then there's four more on the way. Oh, so four more books. on the yeah, way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Eight books total. So basically each book will touch on a different topic. So the first book one is about bullying. Book two actually transitions to the bully's perspective. So mm -hmm. you see what's going on in his head, what's going on with him. So you you kind of see that maybe he's not a bad guy after all. So mm -hmm. that book actually addresses uh, um, learning disabilities. Oh. Yeah, so not to give away, but actually his bully actually has a learning disability. And, you know, that makes sense because I see it too often. Um, they're feeling insecure about themselves. So then they exert some kind of artificial power on yeah, somebody else. Yeah. 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 So that's book two. And then uh, book three, like I said, was one of the books we talked about was about grit, about how the protagonist actually gets back up after uh, uh, he doesn't accomplish his goal that he's been working so hard at. And then uh, book four, uh, transitions to another character who is uh, Max's best friend. Maya. Not to give, yeah, yeah, not to give <laughs> it all away, but uh, she edges him out and she goes to the National Swelling Bee. But then uh, you see that she actually deals with her own issues too. You know, she starts having uh, panic attacks and trying to deal with her own anxiety now that she's uh, advances to the higher, to a more competitive level. Yeah. And, you know, do you feel that these books are relatable? Like, can the average child relate to these books? That I know you, you know, specifically have them for middle schoolers, but do you believe that even a child in elementary school might relate to the circumstances in the book, the situations that you've laid out? Yeah, so, you know, actually these situations are not completely made up. They're some things that I've gone through and a lot of my patients who, uh, who kind of review to me all this, their struggles. So all these stories are actually, you know, they are happening in real life. They're not something that uh, some I creatively created in my mind. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that they're hopefully will be totally relatable because they do have, they have happened to people. Right? It's not something that, so some sci-fi that I made up <laughs> right right gotcha yeah and yeah I wanted you to you know I wanted that to be um relayed to people because these are they're important topics that need to be addressed because they are happening on a daily basis and children need help to navigate through those situations yeah definitely and then uh well book five you know I have a psychi psychologist He's a psychologist for uh, a middle school. Um, he he actually gave me some ideas for this one because a lot of his students that are struggling or are dealing with divorces in their family, mm -hmm. they're going through a lot of uh, instability in the home. So book five actually transitions to a new character where she moves to their school because her parents are newly separated. And she's still trying to take in what's going on, trying to figure out 
what the situation is at home and at school. And you know, she goes through a lot, um, starts experiencing some depression and uh, you see her struggles with it. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that. And people, go out and get Dr. Nee's books. And where can they find you books, sir? Yeah, they can find my book at www.theadventuresofmaxandfriends.org or just Google The Adventures of Max and Friends and my uh, website should go up. And it has all the books that are currently out and then it has the books uh, that will be released uh, you know, monthly and you can see when the release dates are. Okay, awesome. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nee. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing tips and tools that parents can use so they can parent with confidence. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing uh, with mental health is just like your physical health, you can you should treat mental health just like your physical health. Be proactive rather than reactive. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's best to you know, address it, learn about it before it becomes a problem, whereas you probably you kind of just, you know, like leave it aside until it be actually becomes a real problem before addressing it. So my tip is, you know, be more proactive rather than reactive. Otherwise, sometimes you know, being reactive, you might be behind the ball. And at, some, at, at times, it might be too late. You know, what actually motivated me to write this book was, finding out that my nephew committed suicide six months into the pandemic. So that's why I really want to do push this topic of proactive rather than reactive, because I think for his instance, where he was just being reactive and the whole family was just caught off guard. So are there any warning signs that parents could look for? Yeah, I think with kids, you know, the it's, it's sometimes hard to tell, and so for teenagers, they you know they want to talk to their parents, and you know, they're in the old world a lot of times. But I think the uh, the, the things to look out for the most if they started uh, behaving differently with their friends as well. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they're not as interactive with their friends. They you know, things that they enjoy doing that they don't do as mm -hmm. often. They just uh, kind of pull away from a lot of their close friends. And I think those are the the easiest flags to see if they're just behaving, pulling away from everyone and being in their own world more than normal, what a teenager would do. Right, yeah. Uh, and then how would one approach that? Yeah, when that's a difficult, that's going to be a very difficult um, a conversation to be had but it mm -hmm. needs to be had but it's not something where it, it's going to be something simple that you can talk to them about like for example in, a, in one of the stories you know i displayed what happened when the parents tried to talk to um the one of the characters about it is have this big fight and just everything just blows up so but it still needs to be had i think it's the approach that's probably the best a lot of times people say you know it's what what is being said is how it's being said. Yeah, so I think a lot of kids need, first of all, I think they want to feel validated. So I think if you first start out with that, just validating what they're feeling, validating what they're going through, I think that would kind of put down some of the shield. So as opposed to like, hey, I noticed this, that like right away that sounds very uh, accusatory and then that already shut down. But I think if you start out with just 
some validation for them and for them to know that you're not there to accuse them of anything. And I think that would be the best way to approach that conversation. It's still a very difficult conversation to be had, but it's easier if you start out just validating as opposed to pointing out some specifics like, I noticed this, I noticed that, what's going on? I mean, all those questions, like if, if someone said it to you too, you're like, hey, why are you attacking me, right? Yeah. And right away, you're you're going to be on defense. You're not going to want to talk about it. You're going to feel like, oh, this person's out to get me, whether it's your parents or not, right? You mm -hmm. still feel that way. So I think the best thing to do, you know, start out with some validation. That's what every kid needs at that point when they feel down and just really need someone to validate their emotions and feelings. And I want to add to that. So it's really important when you're having that conversation and your child tells you how they feel, please don't tell them they shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, maybe yeah, ask them exactly. how you feel that Because often we're like, oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way or that's not how, I'm sure that's not how they meant it or I'm sure this, we don't know what somebody else's intentions are. So then you've, then you've shut that door when you make a statement like you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, no, exactly. That's perfect. I think a lot of times we used our interpretation and we forced it on someone else. And then right away, they're already like, this person doesn't understand me. Mm -hmm. And then that conversation's over. Yes, yes. And we want to really leave those doors open so that our children can speak to us freely, regardless what it is, receive it without judgment. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's why I, I my hope for the book is that for them to, kids and parents to have this open dialogue before things get out of hand, before things get worse. So then it's something that they uh, talked about already. So it won't be like the first time that it's been brought up. So it won't be a super awkward conversation. So, uh, so I feel like if, if it's something that's already talked about in the family, that it, when it does happen, then it's not something foreign. It's something super difficult, that it's super awkward. And it will be easier to kind of bring up. Yes. And they can even use the, you know, the characters in the book, you know, so I feel kind of like Max or I feel like Maya or I feel like, you know, whoever is in the book that they yeah. can relate to and help spark that conversation. Yeah. You know, a story I did want to share is um, one of the pharmacists at my uh, clinic, she actually told me that she got the book for her, uh, her niece and she was just talking about the book. Um, she was like, oh, what do you think of the book? and so forth and actually she found out that her niece was getting bullied the past two years and I, I guess even her parents didn't know but she didn't want to tell anybody so that kind of got that conversation going and that you know, really made me like brought this guy almost a tear to my eye to know yeah. that it's actually doing what I, I hope for it to do that is beautiful because who knows you you might have saved that little girl. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it it really moved me because you know I do, we do a lot of things, so sometimes we don't know. Like, am I really making a difference? Am I doing anything with all this? But you know, hearing that, I, I was like, oh, right, at least I helped one person. Right, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure you'll help millions more. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I think that's it. I think the takeaway is you know, be proactive rather than reactive. You know, learn as much as you can, talk, 
get that conversation going before it's too late. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nee. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and sharing this super important information with parents because it is so needed. And like you said, especially about a topic that is difficult to approach, but is so vital because it's life saving. Yes. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are most welcome, sir. Be blessed. Thanks. Okay.